All right, let's uh, get going. Yeah, we're good. Okay, if you have your Bibles, oh, you know what? I'm going to get in trouble. I have an announcement I'm supposed to make. Uh, sunrise, we're going to do a sunrise prayer service at Table Rock on Easter. So I'm not sure what time sunrise is, but that's what time it will be at. If you really want to be uh, spiritual, you can get there like 3 a.m. and have a prayer vigil and just get it warmed up for us. All right. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark 3. I'm going to continue tonight on uh, this wisdom series, and uh, I'm going to talk tonight about uh, the church. What is the church? Why do we do this thing called church? Why are we here? Anybody ask yourself that tonight? <laughs> but you just keep coming back. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so here we're going to read uh, verse uh, 3, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. So Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach. Uh, I like this verse, and I think it kind of captures uh, the purpose of the church. Really, in the word church, it's ecclesia, it's not here. He says it later. He says, against the church, the gates of hell won't prevail. Uh, but I believe this is one of the first callings, communal callings, where we can see the seeds of Jesus' mission, which was to come and preach the message of the kingdom and establish this thing he called the church, which in the Greek is the ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesia. You can say it however you want to say it, because we're not Greek. And it means the called out ones. It's a people with a calling. There are people with a mission. And Jesus came to earth very literally. He came with a purpose to bring the kingdom of God and to set up this thing called the ecclesia, the ecclesia, the ecclesia, right? To be a, a people that would administrate the coming of the kingdom, right? And this is what I would say uh, the church, the ecclesia, is a prophetic community who disturbs and inspires the world with the message of the kingdom inciting redemptive movement in the earth. All right, so I'm going to unpack that. That's a mouthful. Um, but the Ecclesia is a prophetic community who disturbs and inspires the world with the message of the kingdom inciting redemptive movement. All right, and this calling, the church has this twofold call. He called people to be with him. And then sent them out to preach. So the church gathers together tonight. We gather together not to hear a sermon, not to sing songs. We gather together to be in the manifested presence of Jesus Christ, who was dead and he's alive. And he's here. Where two or more gathered in my name, I'm there among them. I inhabit the praises of my people, right? He is in this place, very really, very truly. Right, And so we're called, we gather to be with him, and then we're going to leave here pretty soon to go preach the message of the kingdom to the world. There is something really sticky up here. I thought it was a piece of gum. <laughs> April Fool's isn't for a few weeks, so whoever put that there is messed up. 
So we gather, and then we are sent. We are have a call to be with Jesus, the Holy One, and then be sent by him in his name to manifest this message of the kingdom to the world. And we then incite this redemptive movement, and this redemptive movement would be darkness to light, brokenness to wholeness, selfishness to agape love. All right, so I'm going to break this down tonight, and again, we're looking from the perspective of what does God see, why does he establish, right? Wisdom looks at implications. Wisdom sees the foundation that the house was built upon. So what is the church? What, let's get, try to get some of God's perspective on this beautiful creation called, called the church um, that a lot of people have a mixed relationship with, and I would imagine a lot of you in this room, I mean, I hear it all the time. I don't even know why I'm in the church. I just like this one, right? It's like, it's kind of like, I'm here because uh, I like it, but I kind of don't want to, right? We have a mixed relationship with the church, and I think it's because we've lacked the wisdom of God on what the church is. So I'm hoping tonight, honestly, that I'll disturb you and inspire you. I'll disturb the illusions that we often have about this thing called a church and inspire you with the hope of what it's actually supposed to be and who we are as the people of God, as this prophetic community. All right, so uh, we're a prophetic community who disturbs and inspires the world with the message of the kingdom. And that is what I mean by prophetic. It's a new way. It's this kingdom thinking that challenges things in culture, but then also inspires culture. So it's this both and. If you only disturb people, you have no influence. Do you know that? If you only inspire people, uh, you're probably not uh, preaching the message of the kingdom, right? It's, it's got to be both, right? Jesus did this. All his followers did this. The prophets did this. So we are going to do this, too. We are the church. Uh, one of the big things that, you know, we hear people say, there's all these studies now on uh, what people think of the church. And the biggest thing that the criticism uh, that culture says of the church is that we're hypocrites. Has anybody heard this before? Yes, there's hypocrisy. They say how, you know, Jesus is great. His teachings is great. But the church, they don't really represent him. The church is full of hypocrisy. The church is full of sin and brokenness. Right? How can these people that say they're Christians do these things that are so unchristian? Are you following me? Right? So there's this hypocrisy, and it's a problem. Um, but I believe that hypocrisy is evident because we've forgotten the humility of our calling as the church. Right? Hypocrisy uh, doesn't need to be in the place. And so I want to address this. And I believe what I mean when we've forgotten the humility of our calling is the church, right? It's like the, it's the ground central. It's the, it's the you know, sending place. It's like the battle station where this, God's sending out his troops to be this prophetic message, right? So we look at it. It's a hub where people come. They're filled with something. They're sent out to bring this message of the kingdom to the earth. We're a people on a mission, right? But the problem is is we look at this place as if it was the White House or the Pentagon, this place of power and prestige, and it's white and beautiful and the pillar of American strength, right? The church is not the White House. The church is a hospital for the broken. That's where God sends his people out to be this prophetic community in the earth. It's a hospital for the broken, right? There's this church in Bethlehem and uh, if you're going to go visit it, the door's about yay, yay high. So you kind of have to like bend down like this to get in. And the reason they did that is because uh, you'd have to humble yourself 
before you walked in the door. Sometimes I think we forget that it's humility, it's the acceptance of our brokenness is our entrance into this ecclesia, this prophetic community that camps around God. The entrance is we have to humble ourselves and recognize the reason we're here is because we're broken. It's a hospital. Look around. We're in a hospital tonight. We're not in the Pentagon. We're not these people that have everything together. And let me give you this triumphalistic message of the kingdom that's coming. He didn't come like a conquering king. He came as a little baby. So why we get so triumphalistic as the church sometimes is beyond me. It's the thinking of the world. It's not the thinking of the kingdom. Right? There's humility in the very essence of what it means to be the church. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I know this is uncomfortable, perhaps, but it's true. And the Ecclesia will only fulfill her prophetic calling to disturb and inspire the world if she is both disturbed and inspired herself. And what are we disturbed? What is this ecclesia, this prophetic community to be disturbed by? It's our own brokenness. And not just our own, but the brokenness of the world. There's a lot to be disturbed by. And if we're honest with ourselves, you don't have to look outside. You can look inside and get disturbed. The fear and the brokenness and the things and the things that are hiding in the shadow, right? All this stuff, it's there. It's in us. Right? People say, you know, all kinds of times, you know, well, you know, the church is full of sin. The, the, the stats are coming out. You know, the porn addictions are just the same in the church as they are in the world. The divorce rates are the same, some argue the same in the church as they are in the world. The, 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 the abuse, the, the stuff, like it's, it's the same. Has anybody been disturbed by this? Right? And what happens sometimes we go like, oh, See, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites. They got brokenness in them. (laughs) No. (laughs) The church has brokenness because we're a broken planet. We're an orphaned planet that's trying to figure out what this means that we have a father who loves us and trying to, you know, be healed from all this brokenness and these wounds and this degradation and this systemic brokenness and poverty and generational suffering, right? Generational addictions, right? This is the world we live in. And it is a farce to think that if we just pray a prayer and and get saved and come to church, it's going to be perfect all of a sudden. We have much to be disturbed by in this prophetic community called the Ecclesia. But we don't like to embrace this. We don't like to talk about this. But the truth is, if we don't value the disturbance, if we're not disturbed, then we can't be inspired. Right? Has anybody heard the phrase, uh, necessity breeds innovation? Do you know what necessity comes from? It's the fruit of disturbance. You're saying, oh, That's not working anymore. You guys are really quiet tonight. Are you disturbed? Necessity breeds innovation. Necessity means, wow, like it's not working anymore. 
Therefore, it says necessity, it breeds this innovation. When there's a recognition that it's not working, that there's brokenness in my life, there's brokenness in my kids, there's brokenness in my family, there's brokenness in my church. Necessity, when we accept that, it becomes necessity. And then that pushes us to innovation, which is the fruit of inspiration. We breed these new things, right? It's like the parable of the sower. Jesus is like, you know, some seed goes on this ground and it springs, you know, it doesn't have good ground. It's like, it's shallow and it springs up quickly, but then it goes away, right? And then some has like the, the cares of the world and the thorns and the thistles and it sows and it springs up, but then it gets choked out. And it says the good soil is the soil that's actually prepared to receive the seed and bear much fruit with it. Are you following me on this? Right? Disturbance is what prepares the soil. Disturbance gets into that fallow ground and it starts clocking it up. Right? Disturbance starts ripping the weeds out. Disturbance is this, oh my gosh, there's something not right. There's something that's not working like it's supposed to. And it actually prepares so that the seed can come and the inspiration of heaven can actually bear fruit in our lives. If we're not disturbed, we can't really be inspired. Right when I was like 15 or 14, I got inspired. It was a Christmas break. It was, uh, no, it was like before Christmas. I can't remember the timing. But I just knew I wanted to dunk a basketball. It was basketball season. I was a white boy, well aware of it. But I was like, I'm going to dunk a basketball. I got inspired. I could just see myself stealing the ball, half court, Dribbling down, I saw the cheerleaders, I saw everybody, and I'm not laying that ball up. I'm going to dunk that thing, right? So I bought these things called strength shoes. Guaranteed six inches on your vertical leap. But this is, this is the problem. This is why I never dunked the basketball in the game. It's because I was too good of a shooter. So I shot so much, it didn't let me really get disturbed. I wasn't disturbed. I was like, oh, I can just rely on what I'm good at. I wasn't disturbed, so my inspiration couldn't bear any fruit. Are you following me? That's a silly example, but it has principle to the serious things in life as well. If we're not disturbed, if we can't come face to face with this isn't working, we will not be in a position to actually be inspired in such a way that we're gripped by the motivation of heaven. Right? And our calling isn't just to be disturbed. It's to disturb and inspire. So we have to be disturbed if we're to fulfill our call to inspire. Does this make sense? Right? We really haven't cultivated in our lives. We don't like this, but we don't really have a place of value for disturbance. We look at disturbance as like, why is that happening? It shouldn't be happening. I'm having a bad day because disturbance is happening. We failed to recognize God is bigger. He's bigger than we are. He uses everything. He uses the storms. He uses, like Satan doesn't like it about himself. Graham Cook, I think, says this. So Satan hates it about himself, but he's still a servant of God. And God can use him to create his will and accomplish his will. It's like, all right, you can go bother them. And then God uses it redemptively. He doesn't cause it. Are you following me? Like Satan can't not be used by God. If we respond in the spirit. Isn't that cool? So hopefully you don't have to be afraid of Satan anymore. 
because he was a created servant of the will of God. And though he rebelled, God is bigger. He can use the rebellion to bring redemption in our lives, right? Disturbance can be a gift is what I'm trying to say, right? Disturbance, right? The wind and the waves, if you know how to put the sail in the right direction, it'll catch that wind and it'll start flowing in the right direction. Are you following me? We got to create value in our lives that it's okay to be disturbed sometimes. It's okay to to disagree with someone, a brother or sister in the Lord. It's okay to disagree with the sermon that you hear. It's okay if you think someone's off theologically. It's okay sometimes to be disturbed, to be challenged, to be giving something that you have to wrestle with. Because God uses disturbance. We have to have a place that not just, not just talking about sin, right? Just life can be disturbing sometimes. And we have to start valuing it if we want to uh, enter into uh, our prophetic calling, right? P- Paul never, like, gets on Timothy or gets on anybody and says, you know, uh, quit disturbing them, Timothy. You're making them uncomfortable with what you're saying, He says, no, 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 in these days, uh, people are just going to want their ears to be tickled. They're just going to want messages to sound really good, that make them feel good about themselves. Right? That's that's actually Paul's warning. It's about, now, don't don't just be overly inspirational and nice, nice, nice. Because Paul knew the ecclesia is a prophetic community that disturbs and inspires. So we have to be We have to treasure the disturbance and not act like something is going wrong. There's this phrase in the scriptures in Acts that says, and they were cut to the quick. That's a nice way of saying disturbed, offended, frustrated, angry, cut by the word of God as it went forth, right? We have to have space as we gather together here Thursdays, wherever else, in our homes, and our friendships, we have to have space to be disturbed and actually value that. We have to come to church saying, okay, if you want to disturb me tonight, I want your agenda. Where is this in the Bible? All over. I'll give you an example with one person. Let's look at the life of Peter. His first encounter of Jesus wasn't very pleasant. He said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He's disturbed. We see a little bit later, uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to guess his heart was cut to the quick. <laughs> yeah, that's a disturbance. A little bit later, yeah, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And he does. And he goes and weeps in the depth of this very painful disturbance. And Peter, you actually kind of just see, (laughs) I mean, he gets a few nice jobs from Jesus uh, in those three years. But it's a lot of disturbance. Disturbance, disturbance, disturbance. Because Jesus was preparing him to be good soil. And we see on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God possesses this man, he begins to preach the gospel, and it disturbs and inspires the world in such a way that 3,000 people come into the kingdom on that day. And uh, just so you know, Peter wasn't perfect after that. 
Paul rebuked him <laughs> sometime later, said, you're living in fear. Basically, he was calling him out in front of the whole church. You're acting like a Jew in front of the Jews, and now you're acting like a Gentile. Fear of man. Continued struggling with that after Pentecost. Was not a perfect man. Still had brokenness in him, though he was the rock of the church and the first apostle in the order of Jesus Christ. This is a real life. We're broken people, embraced by a God that loves us, right? So we're a prophetic community, has to be disturbed, uh, has to be inspired, and that's our role in the earth. That's what it means to be leaven. That means what it means to be salt and light, right? As we allow the Lord to do this in us, the natural consequence of that is the way we start living in our life, it will disturb and inspire the world. Isn't that crazy? You get disturbed and inspired, that's what you'll do to other people. They'll be like, I really like when you're around, but when you leave, I got a lot to think about. <laughs> Anybody had this? I'm sure you have friendships. You might have not had this language for it, but you've had friends that are disturbed by you. <laughs> they love you, though. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Who loves to hang out with Jesus? Sinners. Did they think that he was compromising? Did they think that he was, oh, no, he doesn't really, no. No, he's a holy man. It's the first time Peter sees him, he literally falls on his face, says, get away from me, I'm a sinner. They knew, everyone knew, this is a holy man, yet who wanted to be around him? Sinners, tax collectors, the down and outs, those people that, you don't, that, didn't, that wouldn't want to come to church. So why has the church become a place that the world thinks is just judgmental and cold and crass, right? Are you following me? Why? Why? we got to be disturbed by this truth. we got to be disturbed by the reality that we've been ineffective in this culture. And we've got work to do in fulfilling this prophetic mandate to start inspiring the culture as well. So that they love being around us. And they're disturbed by it as well. I am not advocating the celebration of brokenness within the church, but I am advocating the acceptance of it. Because this is what leads us to healing. This is what leads us to being the redemptive movement in the earth. All right, so we're this prophetic community that is inciting redemptive movement in the earth, right? And this redemptive movement is brokenness to wholeness, light to darkness, selfishness to selfless love. That is why we're here, to bring the kingdom. We are not to stay in brokenness. I'm simply saying we have to accept that it is okay for brokenness to be in the church. And why I said hypocrisy is the fruit of a lack of understanding. We haven't embraced the humility of our calling. It's because the reason we're hypocrites is because we have felt this pressure to project a facade that because I now know the truth, because I now understand the potential that I've been given as a new creation in Christ, there's truth. We're the redeemed. He who made him sin, who knew no sin, so we'd be the righteousness of God. And so you are. You are righteous. You are holy. You are redeemed. He sees you and he calls you a saint. But that's in seed form. It's true, but it's in seed form. It's potential. It has yet to be realized. And the problem is, is we will project a facade that acts as if this is my reality and deny the truth that there's still brokenness in me. 
And then what that does is it creates this dichotomy where we sever ourselves from the grace and the love of God. Because Brennan Manning says this, God loves us for who we are, not for who we're supposed to be. So we get all these truths in our mind and we project this image of who we are supposed to be, but we receive no affection for who we are supposed to be. He loves us for who we are today. And he embraces us for who we are today. He holds us. He nurtures us. He caresses us. He he loves us for who we are. And it's in that embrace that we are healed and transformed. And that redemptive movement starts to take place in our lives. Are you following me? Ephesians 3.19 says, To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so you can be filled with all the fullness of God. No, gnosko in the Hebrew, yada, Adam, yada, Eve. Just picture it, because I want to make a vivid point. Adam, yada, Eve, and had a son. Adam, yada, Eve, and had a son. We're not talking about this projected knowledge of, yeah, God loves me. No, when I yada his love, when I yada the embrace of the Father, I get filled with his fullness becomes transformed. The place where I experience the love of God becomes transformed by the fullness of his grace. When I let him embrace me in the shadow, in the brokenness, in the shame, his fullness comes and it moves me into this redemptive journey. Right? We are not a perfect people. We are to be an embraced people. It's glory in jars of clay, right? So that people will know when they see this redemptive movement, when they see this glory flowing through these ordinary vessels, they'll know, easily distinguished what's God and what's not. Are you following me? The vessel is to be very easily distinguished from the glory of the Creator. And we're a broken vessel. We're a jar of clay. And it's by his wounds we're healed. And so therefore the world now as we represent Jesus, as he embraces us in our brokenness, it's through our brokenness that his glory spills out of our life and brings this redemptive movement to the earth. So what I'm trying to say is there's no reason to be a hypocrite. If you're broken, if you're in sin, If there's things that aren't right in you, let yourself be embraced. Come out of hiding. Come out. This is a hospital. We don't, this is for the sick. This is for the broken. He came to get the weak and the lost. We were all prodigals. Doesn't matter if you were in flagrant violation and abandoned doing all the the bad things. Or if you're a Pharisee in heart and you judged people. <laughs> We're all prodigals that need to be held by the Father. The hospital of healing, the hospital for the broken, is the place that the army of God sent forth from.
It's a paradox, but it's the kingdom. We're this prophetic community inciting redemption in the earth. Darkness to light, brokenness to wholeness, selfishness to agape love. This is what the Lord accomplishes through this ecclesia, this church. Thank you. This can make the church sound very fragile. Uh, This can make the church sound as if, you know, well, where's the strength? Where's the strength come from? How, How are we to stand in a world full of giants and, 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 and bring victory? How, are, how is a hospital of the broken, how does that produce an army that can, that can bring victory to a world that is full of giants? Right? We all have our own giants, our own battles that we have to fight. David had the lion, the bear. He had Goliath. Right? He had, we, we all have these things, our own life, and that's just our own life, and then our family's life, and then our church's life, and then our city. You know, we've all, there's giants. Are you following me? Where does the church find strength if we're just a hospital of, of people that can't even be perfect themselves? If Peter himself was still living in the fear of man after getting filled with the Spirit of God and preaching to the very people that were going to kill him a few weeks earlier, if he can have a moment of such victory and then he falls back into fear, where's the strength? If we can't be perfect, if we can't be the Pentagon, this pillar of strength, the church of Jesus Christ radiating, how do we have the strength? The strength uh, is in Jesus. And I'm just going to tell a story, close with a story tonight that is very deeply woven into the fabric of my understanding of this beautiful creation called the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, In June... In June of 2009, I was in New York City, and it was the last uh, time that I was ever with my parents while they were together. Uh, literally, it was days later that my parents separated as we returned home. And uh, I remember uh, at one point at the end of the trip, we went to Ground Zero. It was still under construction. And uh, I'm sure many of you heard there's this little church uh, that when the towers fell, the church stood, and they call it the little church that stood. And uh, it was the only building in the midst of all the rubble that stood upright and was untouched. And it just became a, a place. It's a beautiful story. They kind of launched the relief effort from this church. And uh, I remember being there. Uh, I was 18. Uh, and my mom was in there. We were reading kind of the story. And I remember she started just weeping. And uh, as a, I just was like, wow, she must be really, you know, moved. It's a somber place. And I kind of processed it. And I was there. And I went on with myself. And uh, seven years later, about, about maybe a couple weeks more than seven years later, I found myself, I was flying to meet an organization that I was going to do some missions with in the East Coast. I didn't even know where we were going. And uh, they told me, oh, we're actually going to New York City. I said, wow, it's been a long time since I've been there. And as I got to the city, we had a few hours of free time. And I had a memory flash through my mind of being in that little chapel and my mother weeping. And I knew I need to go find that place. So I left the group. I walked and I found this chapel. It's a museum now. And I walked in. I sat on a chair. And I just began to be flooded with emotion 
as I remembered uh, this memory that was all but forgotten to me. And as I sat there uh, with tears just start flowing down my face, uh, I began to just have a vision. And uh, the Lord took me back to that day seven years prior. And he said, Jordan, your mother wasn't weeping because of the somberness of this place. He said, your mother was weeping because I was ministering to her heart. He's like, and I was prophesying to her and telling her that when everything crawls apart and when everything crumbles, she was going to stand because I was going to make her stand. And I sat there weeping, seeing this vision of Jesus embracing my mother. And then he began to speak to me and he said, son, he said, I've been building my church in you for seven years. He said, and now I'm ready to build my church through you. He said, but you need to know that against my church, the gates of hell will not prevail. He said, I don't care if everything comes crashing down. I don't care if the very world itself shatters. He said, you will stand and my church will stand because I will make you stand. And I sat there, a puddle, just a mess in this museum. <laughs> As I processed the, the pain and the brokenness and the disturbance of what he had done through those seven years. What was there in 2009, the young man that was standing in that place was very broken. I was arrogant to the core. I was so full of selfishness. I was so full of pride. I was so full of fear. And I went through years of being disturbed and being disturbed and being disturbed and being disturbed. And this was right as we were launching this church. And I was in a very vulnerable place. How, is this church going to be blessed? Is it going to grow? Is, how, I know me, Lord. I know my brokenness. How, how, how church for seven going to be anything? And he meets me and said, I've been building this church for seven years. He said, and how I built it through you is I disturbed you to the core. He came and he broke my dreams and he took things from me and he shook the very foundations of my life till nothing was left anymore but a bunch of dirt that was just clumped up out of the ground and he said I knew I was building this church then and I'm building this church now and if I can get you through all of that then I can get you where, where I'm taking you and I said okay okay if you knew that that was coming then, you can do anything. If you can get me through all of that, you can do anything. The strength of the church of Jesus Christ is in our weakness as we lean and learn to be embraced by Jesus. My power is made perfect in weakness. It's an upside down thing. But we got to get this switch. We got to get this switch on. So we start realizing that whatever you're going through, you need to be embraced. We're an embraced people. We're embraced by a Father who loves us. And it doesn't matter how low or how high or how good or how bad, we're embraced. We're embraced. If we're to be the prophetic community, the ecclesia of Jesus, this prophetic community who inspires and disturbs the world with the message of the kingdom, inciting redemptive movement, it has to be true in ourselves. It has to be true in our own lives. So when Jesus looks at this beautiful thing 
this beautiful community that he's created. This, it's, it's not a creation of earth. It's not. This is supernatural. You realize that? This is supernatural. What we're experiencing right now is not of this earth. It's a community that because of the grace of God, he calls us to be with himself. And he calls you as you are, not as you're supposed to be. He says, let me embrace you. Let me hold you. Let me transform you with my love. And then I'll send you. And then come back and let me embrace you. And I'll send you. You see it? I just want to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, right now that you're in this place. Lord, you're the agenda. You're the agenda, Jesus. Just give us grace, Lord, to throw all the armor and the facade, to throw it at your feet. We don't need it. It doesn't work. It doesn't help. It doesn't trick anybody. Disturb us, God. Disturb us out of the mediocrity that hell wants to bind us to. Disturb us out of the lukewarmness that keeps us, disturb us, but in less than your fullness, God. Disturb us when we've sailed too close to the shore because we're afraid of what lies on the distant horizon, God. Disturb us. Disturb us, oh God. Strip us of every dream that isn't originated in you. Strip us of our idols, God. Disturb us. Disturb us out of the American dream so that we can dream yours, God. Disturb us out of our plans and our agendas, Lord. Disturb us, God. We give you permission tonight to disturb us, God. Disturb us, Lord, of the things we compartmentalize and think we can hide from you. Disturb us out of the comfort of our deception. Can disturb us, God, out of our ability to justify what is not justifiable. God, disturb us out of our denial. Disturb us out of our denial, God. And give us the grace to accept ourselves as we are so that we can be accepted as we are by you. And I ask, God, that just as you inspired Peter, a broken man praying in an upper room, God, that you will inspire us with the message of this kingdom, with the hope of heaven, that your kingdom is here and your kingdom is coming. God, make us good soil that can bear 
30, 60, and 100 fold. God, inspire us with the truth that you formed us and fashioned us to do something glorious, that there are good works you've prepared for us to walk in and advance. God, that you have made us a holy priesthood and a royal nation, that you have made us your sons and daughters, that you have created us to co-create the kingdom of God with you, that you have created us for joy and fullness of joy, that you have purpose and meaning assigned to our lives. God, that you have given us the ability to impact eternity and nations and generations and to leave our mark on this earth in such a way that it will continue and resound when our bones are still in the ground, God. Our voice will still be speaking in the earth because you made us in your image, God. Inspire us, Lord. Inspire us with the very inspiration of God. We want to be your church, God. We want to be the ecclesia. We want to be this prophetic community that it disturbs and inspires the world with your message of the kingdom, God. We want to be the river of redemption in this world, God. We want to be the movement that all creation is longing for. So here we are, God. Here we are tonight. 